Scripture reading today it comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Corinthian church, and it begins in chapter 9, verse 21. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. This is God's word for God's people. You can be seated. Um, So uh, we are at um, a spot in the year where football season is peaking. Um, Anybody else a little excited about that? Um, I made the mistake at the last service of saying yesterday all the wrong teams won except for Florida State. And then someone reminded me afterwards, they said, you know what state you're in, right? And um, and I just, you know, Mizzou, I think it's an SEC thing. I'm a little allergic to the SEC. Um, and I, I, went to, I went to Florida State. And in, in, at Florida State, like, school was there, but football was the thing. You know what I'm talking about? And we would, uh, like, on game days, we were in the middle of the largest home winning streak in, in college football history. Um, and so if there was a game at home, it was a party because we were ready to win. And, uh, and you would wake up and I don't know if it's just like internal psychological, if it's like a sociological thing, but the energy in the entire town is, you just have to experience what that's like in a college town that just lights up. Um, from the moment you, your head pops off the pillow, you know, it's go time. Uh, and then you'd get in this stadium with 90, almost 90,000 people that are like, we're dressed the same, we're in the same colors, we're cheering for the same things, we're so excited. Um, and you, when the play happens, everybody erupts and, and all that. And then like the best part is seeing, you know, the heathens that traveled from some other far off um, wilderness like Oxford, Mississippi, you know, like leave, yeah, leave, leave with their head down, you know, and they're like crying on their way back to their car. And they paid $700 to park there, you know, and it's great for our economy. It's awesome. Um, And you're just making money off of misery. It's beautiful. And so, you know, it's this whole thing. And especially in the student section is just absolutely electric. You know, um, many, um, many people, okay, less than half of the people have all of their personal faculties about them um, in the student section. You know, it's this whole deal. And, and this one year, we were playing Miami, and Miami, for me, is probably the team that I dislike the most. Yesterday, we played Miami, we being Florida State. We won. Very excited about that. Um, my, yeah, thank you. Um, Miami is one of those teams, I don't know why, just I, my annoyance level is so high. It's like I want to take all the fans, put them on their own island, push them out to sea, and the world would be better, you know? And, and I'm sorry, I was... <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm not saying it's right, you know. And, and that, this year, I can't remember which year it was. It wasn't my senior year. Um, it was maybe the year before that, junior year. Uh, we were playing Miami at home, and we got uh, tickets. And I don't know what evil person was deciding who got tickets where, but it was me and three of my friends, it seemed like, in the middle of Miami country. I was surrounded by orange and green and white and loud people, and it was terrible. And it was like every time we cheered, everyone around us was angry. And every time they were happy, it was like, I want to crawl in a hole. And, and that 
space of like, am I with my team or am I not with my team? And this like competition and we all feel better when we're in a space where everybody or the majority at least in that zone, we think um, looks like us, thinks like us, supports us in whatever we're cheering for. That feels really good. That just feels so much fun. And that is an absolute blast. Uh, but it frames the whole thing in this us versus them dichotomy, which is appropriate in something like a football game. You know, um, the problem is, is that framework for life doesn't carry well into the other venues that we encounter people, right? Of like, are these my people? Are these not my people? And when we're in the majority, we assume an authority that we probably shouldn't have, especially as followers of Jesus, you know, maybe if we could tell the story of, 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 our, of our culture, um, so many good things, but uh, someone who has claimed to be a follower of Jesus, whether they're actually a disciple of his or not, you know, probably a different conversation, but someone claiming to be a Christian in our culture has felt like an easy thing to do for a very long time because that's been the default majority. That's, that's been easy. You know, you, you say something about Christianity and the room kind of goes, yay, you know, or you at least think so. Um, and, and as culture has moved over the last few years, it seems like that that attitude of if we're in the majority, we assume authority, which doesn't really line up with the person of Jesus or how he lives. Um, as culture has changed, that's really been exposed for a bit. You know, we're in the first time in a very long time in our nation's history when less than half of the nation attends church, for example. Um, you know, and, uh, and the rise of people that, that have different ideas or, or aren't sure what they believe uh, about their faith and that that trend will continue. And it becomes less easy to feel comfortable around issues of faith, it, especially if we see things in this like us versus them kind of like sports analogy framework of I want to be people that are with me, think like me, cheer when I cheer, boo when I boo kind of thing. And, and when, when Jesus comes, he doesn't enter into that framework that we so often import into all kinds of things, not just, not just you know, spirituality or religion or, or sports games, but everything in between. You know, the town you live in and, and, and who we vote for and, you know, uh, maybe certain people like their families, that kind of deal about like, are you in or are you out? And Jesus shows up and just has a very different way of engaging with people. And here in like Luke 18, you may, you may be familiar with the story. It says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. So for th- those people, this would have been someone outside. He's blind. He's probably done something to become that way, angered God in some way, or his parents did. This is, this is one of them, right? Sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way, which was his disciples, right? They were like clearing the road for Jesus. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet because that sounds like Jesus, right? Told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus stopped and ordered the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus, the word of God that was active at creation, the word of God that spoke and galaxies exploded into existence. Right? The answer to all things in human flesh, the answer, the word comes in human flesh. And when he shows up and he encounters someone on the margins, he asks a question. What do you want me to do for you? That seems odd, doesn't it? This is the guy that's loaded with answers. And he starts with a question. By the way, one that seems obvious. Jesus went around asking questions. I I printed up every question that Jesus asks in the Gospels. Just turn to your neighbor and tell them how many you think there are. How How many questions Jesus asked. Share that number off the top of your head real quick. Okay, what were some of the numbers you heard? 125? 126? One dollar? Do I hear two? Do I hear three? Do I hear four? 305 questions. I have 25 pages, twi- 25 pages of questions that Jesus asked people. And these are the, the things that the disciples chose to record. Remember, they were with him for three years. They heard him say all kinds of things. They did not write down everything the man said. They didn't write it down every time he sneezed, you know? They're choosing what to write down, and they think that 305 questions are important to record for us, for all of history, to remember what it's like when the Word of God came and dwelt among us. 305. I mean, like, I couldn't even... It, let me just, I'll work backwards. It's easier to flip pages that way, it seems like. So this is at the end of John. He says, who is it you want? What a good question. Who is it that you want? Do you know what your neighbor would say to that question? What do you, who is the person you're looking for? What is it that you want? Woman, why are you crying? He moves towards someone's pain. Not a, do you think he didn't know why she was crying? She was at his grave just after he got out of there. Woman, why are you crying? He knew the answer. He still asked. Who is it you're looking for? This is a good one. This is post-resurrection. Friends, don't you have any fish? Isn't that great? There's another one. In, in, in post-resurrection, he shows up and he goes, who has breakfast? It's like that conquering sin, hell, and death thing was a little hard. I'm famished. Please tell me someone picked up some biscuits from Chick-fil-A. You know it was Chick-fil-A. It's required. Jesus and all. Do you love me more than these? Jesus asked questions about what people loved. Do you, be- do you believe this? He assumed that if people were around him, they may not believe everything. He said, what do you think about? What do you believe? Do you believe this? Where are you going? 
Will you give me a drink? Oh my gosh, this is the woman at the well. I'll hone on this more in a few other weeks. He asks a question that reveals his own weakness and needs when he engages with somebody. He talks about his own needs and asks for help. God is like, I could use some help right now. Does this offend you? That's a good question. It's asking people maybe, what, what offends you about that? Or are you offended? Dear woman, this is great. This is his mom. Why do you involve me? After that, she grounded Jesus. After that. <laughs> Why are you troubled? What, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? That's a good one. He's about to tell them what he would compare the kingdom of God to, but he starts by asking them, what, what do you think about the kingdom of God? What do you think it's like? What do you think it's like? I'll tell you what I think in a second, but first I want to hear what do you think it's like? Jesus, 305 times when he shows up in a space with people he created, he asks them questions. You know, there is maybe no better way to love people than by listening to them. Um, We've been uh, working to identify a way for us to grow as a church, something to push into our culture to to help us um, step into more as as apprentices of Jesus, as as his disciples, an area that we know we're weak in is living on mission. You've you've told us um, yourselves, you've raised your hands in that Uh, like spiritual growth survey that we do every year and um, so many good things happening, but only about a quarter of our people say that they feel like they're growing in what it means to live as an everyday missionary, to share Jesus with others, to invite other people to follow him, to impact the world in a way where they feel sent by the Holy Spirit into the world, whether it's at their work or their family or their hobbies or, or, or where they live, whatever it is. And so we're trying to find a way to grow in that. And we were able to identify a resource um, that seems like it fits what God is calling us to. Dave Ferguson wrote a book uh, that comes out of, he's in Chicago, um, and it's uh, called Bless. How can we be a blessing to the world in in his name? Um, And simple framework here, B, begin with prayer. So it actually begins with maybe listening to God. Listening to God, talking to God about others, saying, God, show me who you want me to be praying for. And then when there are people that are on our minds that are far from God, and maybe it would be normal that every one of us would have uh, two, four, eight people that we're praying for actively. We're carrying them before God, saying, God, I want you to move in their life. Show me how to move in their life. And the next thing is that we would listen. That's what we're talking about today. Three, my favorite one, that we would eat with them, that we would spend time with people having a good time, often over food. Chips and salsa, great for discipleship, right? That we would serve people, that we would meet their practical needs in tangible ways, and and that we would share our story, that we would share a story, that we would talk about what God's done in our life. And here, when we talk about Jesus, when we look at Jesus and being like him, it's worth noticing that Jesus takes time to listen. He takes time to listen. Why? He's already got all the answers. Maybe it's just because he cares about the person in front of him. I've quoted David Osberger so many times over the last 10 years 
Um, I can't even remember where I ran across his quote first. You know, but he said, being heard is so close to being loved for the average person, it's indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, it's indistinguishable. Or, or Henry Nouwen in his great little book on campus ministry, he was the priest at uh, Notre Dame um, for several years, working with college students. He would say that the first demand of a question is not to be answered it is to be accepted. Someone saying, can I ask this question in front of you and you'll be okay? We take some time and we learn to listen. Um, anybody else, when you're running out of uh, the house in the morning, you have a breakfast that looks something like this? You know, prepackaged um, plastic or, or foil. I do. Like, this is pretty normal for me. Um, to be able to grab something, you know, like this. I've got a few different versions. I have a wide variety. I have fig bars with raspberry. I have fig bars with blueberry. I have, right, and I've got my kind bars, you know, that are, have chocolate on them. It's important for me for breakfast to basically be dessert as often as possible. And, you know, it's 200 calories. I can grab it and go. And like this one has been living in my bag for months, months. And, and the great thing about it is it could live there for years and never biodegrade. Why? Why do we eat food that never biodegrades? Doesn't that say something is wrong, right? And, uh, and I keep it, and it's so handy. And part of it is you just open it and eat it. And there's really two states. There's closed, there's open, and that's all. You know, that's kind of the whole thing. And I think maybe similar to that conversation about like the football game, like insiders, outsiders, my team, your team, whatever. Um, There's this very like sharp distinction in the world. Sometimes when we've talked about people um, in faith, it's like, are you open or not? And that's like all the, all the conversation that we've got. And it kind of reduces people to a product, like a thing. Do you work for me or do you not work for me? Are you open or not? No risk, but people aren't really so much like prepackaged granola bar products. Um, they're a little more um, organic. They they are living things that undergo change over time, which is why I would like to talk about another breakfast item: the banana. Bananas are fascinating, right? They're biodegradable. Packaging, pull tab, perforated edge. It's, it's fantastic, right? Four and a half stars, two thumbs up. Right. I love bananas. And they're great. You can, you can visually identify when they're ready to eat, unlike my nemesis, the avocado. I love avocados, but I end up doing things that make other people question my sanity in grocery stores to find an avocado that's ripe. Anybody else? You're like squeezing them. How many avocados do I need to squeeze in a grocery store to find one that's going to make guacamole? You know, bananas, you can tell by looking at it. And, and here's the thing is they progress over time from green um, to like yellow with a little bit of brown bits on them, which means as they change, they increase in what? Sugar. Sugar, they get sweeter. In fact, if they keep going, they get brown and those are good for? Banana bread, the highest form of fruit, dessert. <laughs> right? It's fantastic. Right, and, and bananas, they, they change slowly over the time. Over time, You are about to hear the word banana more times than you ever guessed you would in a sermon. Okay, now here's the deal. People are not always ready to go. 
They're not always so full of sweetness towards the Lord that they are ready to say yes at that moment. But here's the thing. Maybe in, especially in a culture where a lot of people presumed Christian, when someone has agreement, when they agree with what you're saying, they just aren't living that way. What they need is simply a call to life change. They need a call to life change. This is why the revivalists of previous decades were so effective. D.L. Moody, Billy Graham, they could show up in a town where people somewhere had picked up through culture or church or family or whatever, this is how they should be living, this is what they should be doing, and they weren't, and they needed someone to call them to life change, and tens of thousands of people would respond. That's pretty amazing. But that only happens in a context where people are pretty much, in some way, on board with your framework you're operating in. Now, that was great, but culture has moved, right? It it kind of, you'll notice maybe several decades ago, if you've been in church world, a lot of the conversation became around relevance. Because maybe for some people, there's the understandable idea that what's going on in that church thing, it's probably fine, you're fine, but I can't figure out why it matters to my life. They don't talk about anything that matters. The Songs are fine, but those don't sound like songs that I would choose to listen to or engage in my life. The way people dress in there, that's not the way people dress in my life. I'm not learning anything there that's helpful. And so there was a shift in many places in church to talk about relevance. You know, you saw whole books and sermon series on things like um, five steps to being a better parent, right? Trying to connect with people around places they're feeling pressure and saying, we can be relevant to your, let me show you that faith lines up with some amount of relevance in your life. Are you dealing with, with anxiety? Well, Jesus has something to say about anxiety. So let's connect this to relevance. And then when there's an agreement that like, oh, this has something to do with my life, we can move on <laughs> towards life change. Before that though, it, before you can even get to relevance as culture has continued to move, you have to talk about agreement. Like, do I even think you have ideas that I could get on board with? Let alone, do they matter to my life? but can I get on board with them at all? I mean, we believe some pretty weird stuff, guys. Have you noticed that we believe weird stuff? Resurrection, the Holy Spirit filling people, virgin birth, right? God coming to dwell in you in power, miracles. These are the core things of the Christian faith. They're not the weird, that's the center, right? We believe some weird stuff. And inviting people, I found often you don't have to convince them that we believe every, that they need to believe everything we believe to start. It's just that they would understand that you don't have to check your brain at the door to be a Christian, that you can be a thoughtful Christian. Um, amazing pastors like Tim Keller, I think, led the way in this in so many ways in, in New York City, um, being able to talk about ideas and can you agree. But before we could even get there, someone has to trust you. And when Christianity has often by its own actions and people in the church have caused Christianity to lose trust in our society, no one even will engage around a conversation around ideas or relevance, let alone life change, when trust has been lost. That's the foundation of a relationship. So the question is, how can we love people towards the gospel And start with trust. I think listening is one of the best ways that we can do that. 
You know, my, um, my grandfather passed away on, on Friday. And good man, loved Jesus his whole life. Passed away in 95, not a tragedy, you know, life well lived. Um, but there was grief there, is there. And I'm doing his funeral on, on Thursday. And it, like what came to mind is like that man cared about hunting and playing bridge. And he read history and literature. You know, he was a, he was a specialist in, um, pioneered, pioneered the field of mental health in, in our country. And, um, and I cared about 80s hair metal. And he would sit there and let me talk to him about Van Halen 2. And he would ask me questions about things that he didn't care about. And let me talk. Why? Not because he was interested in those things. What was he interested in? Me. He was interested in me. My interests didn't line up with his except for the fact that he wanted to know me. So he spent time listening to me. And in, in, in Philippians um, chapter 2, headed into you know, probably my little favorite spot in all of Scripture, um, but before it gets to the, the, the hymn that Paul sings in, uh, in Philippians 2, it, he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How is that expressed in the most practical form? How can I look to your interests above my own? I do not know of a better way than giving you my attention and listening to you. Asking you one of like 305 questions. Just because you are made in the image of God because you're loved and you're cared for, and the people on your block or in your apartment building or that you go fishing with or that you've been at deer camp with or, or that you whatever play bunko with, all, all of that's great. All that's great. Those people need Jesus. The ones that are, that are hurt and lost, the ones that are trying to figure their lives out, the ones that are carrying pain from the past, the ones that are confused, the ones that are living for things that will not bring them joy in the long run, even though they're really convinced they will right now, what they need is someone who can put their interest above their own and in humility consider others better than themselves. And maybe one of the best ways to do that, to build trust with that person, is to listen to them. I think that's something you can do. And, and listen, as an extrovert, Certified extrovert. I've got a plaque on my wall mailed to me from the Extrovert Society of, of, the, of the nation or something. I don't, we're at a bit of a disadvantage on listening. Maybe a bit of an advantage on talking. Disadvantage on listening. I think the, the introverts have a bit of an advantage here. Um, better at noticing. Maybe a little better at, at listening, at giving one person your attention. I don't know. We can all grow in it, though. But how can we express love to somebody? Um, in the book called Bless, Dave Ferguson just gives four H's. Good place to start when we're stuck. We can talk about someone's history. Tell me about your history. Where were you born? How long have you lived here? When did you start working there? Tell me about your family, brothers and sisters. You know, in, um, in a good book on, uh, 
on negotiation written by um, one of the international uh, hostage negotiators that the FBI uses, um, Chris Voss. He talks about that one way to keep a conversation rolling, by the way, his goal is a little different than ours, okay, <laughs> is, is when we're stuck, we can simply repeat the last two words the last person said. Where'd you grow up? Oh, I grew up in Farmington. In Farmington? Yes, in Farmington. Went to high school there. High school there? Yes, high school there, right? You can kind of, when we're stuck, you can, it's easy enough to express some empathy by just saying, I heard you, and letting that person continue to talk. All right, ask them about their history. How about their heart? The things they're passionate about and care about. Everybody's got them. You know, and you may know nothing about what they're passionate about. Perfect. If you are really into duck hunting and they're really into coding, you haven't run into a wall. That's, that's the thing. Your ignorance is your secret weapon in learning to love people. You not knowing anything about what they're interested in, perfect. They can tell you all about it, right? Why do you love it? How does that make you feel? How'd you get started in that? What's the hardest thing about it? Learning to ask questions is a way to love people. We can ask them about their heart, their habits, how they engage with the world in little ways and small ways. You see that person at the same coffee shop every Tuesday morning? I, there's a coffee shop I sit at every Tuesday morning. I, I see a lot of you there, right? And we can talk about it, right? What are the habits you have in your life and the hurts? Jesus asked the woman at his grave, why are you crying? Ask someone else, why are you troubled? He moves towards that, not away from it. The person at the cubicle next to you who's getting off shift when you're getting on, maybe there's a way to listen about their history or their heart or their habits or their hurts. Paul, when he's talking to the Corinthians, you know, this kind of like hot mess of a church that he's working with, just let these words hit you, okay? Like, check this out. Chapter 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, we love freedom in our culture, we love liberty, those are good things. What are they for? Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. So what is our freedom for? Our freedom is to give it away for the sake of others. Our freedom is to be invested in others so that they might be saved. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those who were under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I can do all this for the sake of the gospel, so that I might, can you say these last words with me? Share in its blessings. Woo! Woo! Paul says 
that my job is to move close to people that are far from God and enter into their world as much as possible to, to become with them and like them so that I can build trust and build a relational bridge with these people so that I might save some. And he says, so that I can share in the gospel's blessings. Not, and that, he says, not so they can. Yes, so they can. But he's saying, I want to share in the gospel's blessings and I will miss out on it if I do not enter into their world out of love for them to reconcile them with Christ. That is unreal. We've been talking about blessing. How can we be a blessing to the world? This is how, how can we receive blessing? How can we be blessed by God? It's when we get close to those who are far from him and introduce them to the God that loves them, died for them, has made a way for them, doesn't need them to earn their way back to him, but has come to them through Jesus on the cross. And we get to build trust with them. What an honor to be able to build trust with people who are far from God, who he is pursuing through you, so that we can introduce them to that Jesus. Maybe a good place to start is with listening. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, um, I pray that you would pull to mind for us one or two or more people in our lives that we share some space with the... uh, the team we play on, the neighborhood we live in, the group we go running with, whatever. Someone that needs you. And God, would you teach us to begin by praying for them? Then God, how can I how can I bring that person before you? Show me, God. Use me, God. And Lord, teach us to take advantage of opportunities to love them well by listening to them. However um, different or challenging they might be. Lord, like the blind man that you healed, teach us to move close and to listen. We want people to trust you. But that's going to start with us being trustworthy. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.